as well as Lord's Day 27 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Page number for the Catechism is page 884. And Colossians chapter 2, found on page 984 in the Bibles before you. Continuing to look at baptism tonight, Lord's Day 26 spoke of baptism tonight, Lord's Day 27. As you turn there, let me remind you of what we've, we've already seen in the catechism. We've seen that the Spirit is central to God's work in the believer. Now, Reformed Christians are often accused of being uh, less than uh, excited, if you will, about the Holy Spirit. There's only one question and answer in the Catechism on the Holy Spirit, question and answer 53. And yet, as we look in, uh, throughout the Catechism, we saw that the Holy Spirit is throughout the Catechism. There is no life apart from God, the Holy Spirit. And that is true once again, as we look at Lord's Day 27 tonight. We saw in uh, question answer 65, the Holy Spirit produces faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Gospel, and confirms it through our use of the sacraments. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings new life, and that is connected to tonight's doctrine as well. He is the one who helps us understand the gospel. He is the one who helps us understand what the sacrament of baptism is teaches us. The Holy Spirit was specifically mentioned, question answer 70, last week, and we see him again tonight, keeping that in front of us as we study baptism, recognizing that it is not baptism which saves us, but rather it is God who saves us through the work of his Spirit, creating faith in Christ, that in him we might have everlasting life. It's repeated there, in the opening questions and answers. I'm going to read those tonight, ask you to listen. Question 72 says, does this outward washing with water itself wash away sins? No, only Jesus Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit cleanse us from all sins. Question 73, why then does the Holy Spirit call baptism the water of rebirth and the washing away of sins? The answer, God has good reason for these words. To begin with, he wants to teach us that the blood and spirit of Christ take away our sins, just as water removes dirt from the body. More importantly, he wants to assure us by this divine pledge and sign that we are as truly washed of our sins spiritually as our bodies are washed with water physically. Then the statement on what we confess, Scripture to teach, on infants receiving the sign and seal of the covenant. Question 74, should infants also be baptized? The answer, yes. Infants, as well as adults, are included in God's covenant and people. And they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. Now turning to God's Word, Colossians chapter 2, 
Paul's been writing to the Colossians about the centrality of Christ, the mystery of God made known. The pagan religions of that day had many mysteries that they said were only open to the initiated, to only the, the, the enlightened few. And so Paul uses this word and he says, there is no mystery in God's plan. His mystery in, from the Old Testament has been revealed. The mystery of how was God working in, uh, in and among the nations? And how is he going to work in salvation? And he declares it is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has given himself to redeem people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Paul wanted his readers to know that, and they're all of differing backgrounds, he wanted to know that they, there is no division in the body of Christ. We all alike are in Christ and under Christ are saved by him. In the pagan religions, there were divisions, some with greater spiritual maturity and closer to their gods, and others less so because they had not been initiated. Paul is clear here. He says, no, there is no division. Though there are different backgrounds, all are saved together in Christ. They need nothing more for salvation There is no mystery any longer. God's mystery, salvation in Christ, was now revealed. He says that in the opening verses of chapter 2. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face. I have been yearning that you would come to all the riches of full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are all the treasure the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ and His cross are the payment for sin. In our passage for tonight, starting in verse 6, going through verse 23, picking it up there, Colossians 2, verse 6, Paul writes, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him, also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows 
with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So far, the reading of God may add his blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this evening. First this evening, dear people of God, why should we care about infant baptism? Why does the catechism take this issue up in in this series of 129 questions and answers? Well, there's a more involved answer historically, but there's a broader answer. I'll go with that this evening because the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism, as they looked back at the, the history of the church up to that time, saw that there was a misunderstanding about baptism and, as a result, a misunderstanding about salvation proper. And that's a, that's a central doctrine, a central issue. It's not something peripheral. It's not something we can say, well, it doesn't really matter. It's not important. It's at the heart of the Christian faith. And they saw that in Christ's institution of this sacrament as at the center of the life of the church that one needed to understand this doctrine. Sometimes we don't think this doctrine is that important. We think it doesn't apply to us. We reason, well, I don't have any children or I've never had children, or, or, or I don't have any children at home right now. What, why do I need to know about this? Well, the Bible speaks of us as children of God, in the family of God. It uses the terminology that we are children, that we are those who need to be instructed in the basics of the Christian faith that we might not forget as the believers here in Colossae were in danger of doing, as we see believers in in danger of doing throughout history. It's easy to forget. Perhaps the doctrine doesn't seem that urgent to us, but there's an importance in it, and we must remember what it says about the source of our salvation. We're constantly in danger of forgetting the only firm place that we have to stand to be saved. It's in Him. I don't know if you noticed, I emphasized as we were reading, in him, in him, in him, with him, with him, Paul says to those believers in Colossae. That is the heart of our salvation. It is not in what we do. It is not in what we say. It's not graded on, on how faithful we are. It's graded, or it's, it's focused, it focuses us in Christ, in him. There is salvation. Well, what then is the origin of covenant baptism? Infant baptism, or if you will, covenant baptism. The Old Testament. I want us to see tonight that there's not a change here in some, some break in, this, in, in God's plan, as though he's, he's shifted to a different plan, a different idea. It's there in the Old Testament. We need to remember that when churches neglect the Old Testament, they begin to neglect baptism in its importance in understanding it and, and having some vague notion about it. They say, well, you know, it's, it, 
it just kind of happens. It's part of the warp and woof of the church. We just, we just do it. People say, I don't really know what it all means or what it points to. Neglect of the Old Testament in the church is on the rise today with the result that fewer understand the gospel of grace. God extends, his, his salvation, God extends salvation by grace. That's the heart of what Paul is saying here, and that's, that's the heart of, of the story of God's people. Salvation is by grace. One pastor in Georgia, Andy Stanley, some years ago wrote, Christians need to unhitch from the Old Testament. And he said this, the Jewish scriptures aren't needed for faith. Identifying the Old Testament as the Jewish scriptures that have no bearing upon Christians today. Well, the fact of the matter is, the New Testament quotes, 27% of the New Testament is quotations from the Old Testament. 27%. So it apparently matters to the writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. Now, we can't unhitch from the Old Testament. It gives the background to our understanding of where we find ourselves today. The writers of the Catechism wanted their readers to realize that infant baptism had its origin there. Listen to the answer, uh, answer 74 again. Should infants also be baptized? Yes. Infants as well as adults are included in God's covenant and people, Genesis 17, and they, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood, and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Therefore, by baptism, the sign of the covenant, they too should be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. Note this. This is what they emphasize. This was done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced by, in the New Testament by baptism. Th- th- there's history here. Th- this isn't a new plan. This isn't something different. It's a different sign, but God's promise is grounded upon grace and to believers and their children. This is from the Old Testament. There is background here. Infant baptism has Old Testament roots, pointing back to circumcision where we see God including believers and their children in the covenant. He did it then and he, he does it today. God says to Abraham, I will be a God to you and to your children, to your offspring. Paul uses the Old Testament as he writes uh, to, about the faith to the believers in Colossae. What he tells them is that they were uh, in God's redemptive story, though at a different place. They were at a different place, obviously, or thousands of years later from, from where Abraham was. And yet, saved by grace through faith in Christ, just as the saints of old, and receiving the sign, the sign of baptism. They needed to be reminded of this foundation of their salvation because they were in danger of forgetting it. They were in danger of adding things to this whole idea of how one is saved. Let's, let's see how that's the case. They're surrounded by many other teachings. Verse 8 tells us that he warns them not to be taken captive by the philosophies that are deceptive, the human traditions that are there according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Watch out for those, he says. They're trying to lead you astray. They're trying to teach you something different. You see, the Colossian church was a mixed congregation in that there were Christians from Jewish background, 
worshiping alongside of Christians from Gentile background. So there were, as you can well imagine, histories that were brought in. There were stories. There were were experiences brought into the church. And verse 16 says that the Jews, those of Jewish background, were were trying to add something. They were saying, oh, wait a minute. You're going to tell me, Paul, that, that that these believers who've come to Christ, don't have to become Jews? They don't have to follow those those Jewish rites and rituals? Verse 16, Paul says, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, certain special rest days. Not Not the Sabbath, which is part of God's everlasting commandment in the Ten Commandments, but those special Sabbaths. He says, don't let them them pressure you to to keep the Jewish ceremonial law as though, well, now wait a minute. We know you've believed in Christ, but you also have to do all those things that we did. And then verse 18, commentators are, are, are not sure who these people were, but it appears that they were Jewish mystics. They were insisting on extra biblical practices, which must be followed. And they were disqualifying people. They were, the, they were the ones that were disqualifying. Paul says there in verse 18, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions. Well, you know, if you really want to be connected to God, you have to do these things. And from whatever worship they were doing there in verse 18, verse 21 tells us that they had established certain principles. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Indicating that that was a higher tier, brought one closer to God. Paul says, no, no. Listen to what he says there in verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, the reality, belongs to Christ. That's where your focus is. And they were very persuasive. Verse 4 says that. It says, uh, I say say these things to you in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The the wording there is interesting in the Greek. The word is paralogizotai in pithanologia. Logizotai, logic, right? They had a logic that seemed very compelling. That's where that word logizotai, logic, reasoning, uh, comes in. He says they had a, and it was pithy, a pithy word, pithonologia, a pithy logos. We know what logos is, right? The word. They had clever logic with pithy words. It, it would all would, was put together so, so well that they thought, wow, this is very convincing. They've, they've obviously reasoned this all out, and it makes good sense. Paul says, don't be led astray. Don't be deluded, is the word there. All of this has its substance, verse 17, its reality in Christ. His life, his death, erased our record of debts, verse 14 and 15. He came and through his work, the record of death that stood against us was canceled, is the word there. He set aside all these accusations, nailing them to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities which stand against us. There's a lot of application that could be, could be found in our world today because our world's a lot like this world. 
I was reading an article again the other day citing, citing some, of the, some of the systems today of how people can feel good about themselves. How do they, how do they find that they're, that, they're, that, that they're basically good people? They find a cause, right? And there are certain teachings that go with that cause. And there are certain priests is how he identified it. I think he's right. There are certain teachers that govern the religious system. They say, this is the system. Here's where you find your goodness. If you follow this system, according to the priests, according to those who teach, those in the know, then you can find salvation. You can find freedom from guilt, freedom from some, some feelings of inadequacy or, or those nagging sense that, that you haven't done enough or you, you aren't good enough. And there are many, many systems out there, many pithy-sounding arguments, cleverly uh, reasoned arguments, as Paul says, but don't be deluded. Your hope is in Christ. When someone comes and says, no, 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 you can't possibly, can't possibly know life unless you do this, 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 and, and do it indefinitely for the rest of your life, then you, that's the only way you can find peace. And what they're introducing is law. Now, law doesn't bring peace. And, of course, their system, as we've cited here not so long ago, has no forgiveness in it. And it has to do with how one is made acceptable by to man. It has nothing to say about how one is right with God. And as we look at baptism, we see that sign which says, this is all of grace. You are in the family of God as a child of God according to God's gracious promises working faith in us, calling us to extend that sign and seal to our children. Sign of circumcision looked forward to baptism, Paul says. It anticipated the shedding of blood for forgiveness, later revealed in Christ as God progressively unfolded his plan, which has not changed from the beginning. That's the important point here. Nothing's changed. God's means of salvation was always by grace through his Redeemer. His plan is, was always to include believers and their children. The sign is different, but the promise is the same. We're at a different place in God's redemptive plan. We've moved from circumcision on to baptism because the final sacrifice has been, been given. Christ shed his blood on the cross that we have our sins canceled. And now the sign is you are washed in him. Don't keep looking back to shed more blood or to do more work to say, I need to do something else. No, God says, it's been done. It is finished. Paid in full. And baptism reminds us of that. That in Christ we're washed. That's the heart of what he's getting at. Verses 11 and 12, he says, In him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Buried with him in baptism. Raised with him through faith. In the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. If you've been washed in Christ, you have everything that those ceremonial laws pointed to. And neither those laws or any other works invented by man is necessary or can pay for sin or add anything to God's plan of salvation. 
Paul makes that connection between circumcision and baptism. Again, acknowledging the sign of the covenant had changed, but that is because the sign of the Old Testament is now fulfilled. Blood has been shed once for all in Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. We need not go again into the Holy of Holies with our blood sacrifices. Christ has done that. The curtain now has been torn. We enter in, in him. That's how we get to infant baptism. Under the old covenant, there was a shadow. Blood shed for forgiveness. The Old Testament sacrificial system. Now the final blood sacrifice has been made. Therefore, new sign. In Christ, we're washed. God makes the promise with believers and their children in the Old Testament to Abraham, the father of believers. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you forever to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Reminder of the, uh, reminder of the baptism that we confess. By baptism, the sign of the covenant, our children should be incorporated into the Christian church, distinguished from the children of unbelievers with this sign done in the Old Testament by circumcision, which was replaced in the New Testament by baptism. The sign has changed. The recipients of the covenant have not changed. The promises are for us and for our children. Paul is saying to his readers, which included a majority of Gentiles, if you've been baptized into Christ, you're part of the family. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to submit to those ceremonies in order to be fully accepted. Those are shadows. The substance is in Christ. The reality is in him. God's plan has always been to save the nations. In Christ's coming, the redemptive plan of God is revealed in all its expansiveness. Believers don't have to become Jewish following the Old Testament laws in order to be a part of the family of God. Peter was preaching this at Pentecost. Notice the concentric circles that he gives in his sermon there at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 14. He starts with fellow Jews, and then he speaks to them. That's the Titus circle. You, you, you who are fellow Jews with me. Then he says, verse 22, men of Israel, you in Judea, men of Judea in the region, in this area. He says, listen. And then he says, brothers, verse 29, those of you who are now coming in from the nations, hear what I have to say. God has given salvation in Christ. And he says this, verse 39, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The story has advanced. The expansiveness of God is set before us. Expansiveness of God's grace. Some say this is an argument from silence. Well, it isn't silence. The New Testament is showing us that God's ways haven't changed. The fulfillment of God's plan is seen. The sign has changed, but the recipients have not changed. And so we need to talk about this. The writer of the catechism, the writers of the catechism say, we need to put this in the catechism so we don't forget, lest we think, oh, we do something. This is, this is something that we're doing so that we can complete what God has, has promised. No, it's, it's a picture of what God has done, and his graciousness is extended to us and our children reason there's no debate about infants being included was because things hadn't changed. The debate was from the Jews. Well, shouldn't they be keeping certain 
fasts and certain new moon festivals and certain t- uh, refraining from certain types of food and drink. That's the issue. Paul says no. God doesn't pull back his grace. He speaks of the nations coming in, believers and their children receiving the covenant sign. Salvation is about grace. It's always been about grace. One pastor puts it this way, every baptism is an infant baptism in this. The sacrament focuses on God's grace. Infants, before they say or do anything, receive the sign. For salvation depends not on what we say or do, but on God's calling. So what was being debated here was the basis of salvation. Was it based upon law or grace? Did we have a different requirement, or was there a different requirement for the believers in the Old Testament versus the New? Well, this applies to how we think about our children. How should we, how should we look at them? Are they members of the church? Certainly they are. Most certainly. In keeping with God's gracious promise. By extension of His gracious promise. They don't need to do something first to be considered members of the church, like profession of faith. We know about profession of faith. We practice profession of faith. It isn't a work. It is a testimony to God's grace being recognized. God's grace is at work in me, and God be glorified. He is bringing me to himself, and I now, too, want to serve with all of you here to magnify his goodness. There are opportunities even before a profession of faith where we should encourage our children to serve their members. To encourage them to think of ways in which they can be serving in the church, the body of Christ. They need to be reminded of who they are. For they, like us, can be tempted to be pulled away from the truth, as Paul was alluding to in Colossians 2. He says, don't be deluded Don't be pulled away from what I've taught you. You are in him, and as such, it is finished. It is complete. God knows that we need to be reminded. We don't know who the elect are. We know that God commands us to set his sign and seal on our children as they're incorporated into the church. And then as part of the covenant community, they're taught the commands of God. That's the vows that we take. We will train them insofar as we can in in, in all parts to teach them the way that they should go. That's God's command to his people. We heard it this morning when they lie down, when when they rise up, when they walk along the way. They're called to serve and to be obedient to Christ, to believe in him. It's called discipleship. I need a reminder We need a reminder. These believers needed a reminder of who they were in Him. They were those who were in Christ, and as such, they must walk in Him, rooted and being rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith. Verses six and seven. Faith-filled obedience. So we confess that our children are included in the church by baptism. They, no less than adults, are promised deliverance from sin through Christ's blood and the Holy Spirit who works faith. You've done nothing to join. God's grace has been extended, including them. And all that they do, subsequent to that sign, is a response to God's grace, or it ought to be. 
That's how we teach it. We're not saying to them, now do this so that you might be sure that God's going to save you. No, indeed, recognizing the graciousness of God, we call them to show that gratitude by obedience, calling them to love the Lord for His grace. Walk in Him. Be rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Don't be turned to the left or to the right with false teaching, being deluded. This addresses parents. We call our children to faith in Christ. We remind them that God has placed His sign and seal on them, but it is a call to each one of us as we seek to guide and to shepherd all in our midst here, reminding us that in Christ is the substance. In Christ is the reality of salvation. And we must believe in Him that we might have our sins washed away. Just as water washes away dirt from the body, so we are assured that if we believe in Christ, His Spirit has washed away our sins. Our children have the privilege of knowing God, and we point them to God's provided power for them, the Spirit. That is sufficient power to face whatever comes before them, for God is with them. God goes before them. That's the wonderful reminder in the sacrament of holy baptism. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sacraments that you've given to us to strengthen our faith, to keep us focused, to remind us that in him, in Christ, we are washed. In him, we're reckoned righteous. We're reminded that the promise is then extended to us and to our children. Lord, help us to understand that and help us to rejoice in that. Help us to not forget that. Not going after any other system or any other idea around us. When we wonder, when we feel those, those tinges of, of inadequacy, reminding ourselves that in Christ we have salvation. That we would turn there as we have the privilege of witnessing baptisms in this place, may that privilege be a greater, lead to a greater faith, a greater joy in us towards you because of your grace and your mercy. We ask that you would hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 536 is the song that we sing. 536 reminding us of the reality of many storms that buffet, challenges that come. Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild restless sea. Day by day his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us by thy mercies, Savior, may we hear thy call. Give our hearts to thine obedience. Serve and love thee best of all. Let's Stand to sing then those five stanzas, number 536.
Tonight our offering for the work in Ecuador, Reverend Pablo Landazuri. Let us offer up prayer for the offering. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for your word going to the ends of the earth. We thank you that you proclaim that good news in the different languages that you have, uh, that you are bringing people together through the work of your spirit. Nations are coming underneath the head, even Christ. We pray for Reverend Pablo Landazuri and his work there in Quito. We ask, O Lord, that you would grant much fruit there, that as he labors there, planting, watering, that you would cause the increase, that many would rejoice and call you their Father through Jesus Christ. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. stand as we confess our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. The version that we use is page 851 in the back of the hymnals. Thank you for that song. We are your people. You are our God. We are your people. That is indeed our confession. We are the people of God by His grace, by His mercy. And when we are asked, Christian, what is it that you believe? We say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there He shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. People of God, receive this parting blessing. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing His will. May He work in us what is pleasing to Him, Through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.